the speed of involution towards concrescence is now so great that we can feed change, invention, the adumbration of ideas, mathematical algorithms. The connectivity of people and social systems all accelerating furiously like a runaway rail on a dark and stormy night. This is what makes the human race so interesting. It only lasts for about 15 or 20,000 years. It's a catastrophe in real time. It begins with naked monkeys kept in the balance by natural selection and ends with a language using humanoid, machine hybrid species locked in a planet-girdling interface capable of releasing energetic instruments that can light the stars. And during this period of furious, high-risk acceleration, the entire process hangs in the balance and is under the control of no one. Not the deep state, nor the military-industrial complex, the CFR, the Black Pope, the Illuminati, not even the Colonel. No one's behind the wheel. You can't go back, you can't stay still, and if the thunder doesn't get you, then the lightning will. Woo! Oh! Ric Flair, baby. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Modern Guilt. This is episode 39, I believe. We're this asleep is a at the wheel last Thursday week. morning. We were asleep at the wheel, very much so. We went through uh, one of the weeks of uh, great demotivation that all uh, great artists must experience. <laughs> no, honestly, what did we do? You got sick. I was just pissed off and <laughs> we didn't do a podcast, I think yeah, is what happened. Like that. Um, so sorry if you are one of the few people who, you know, actually wants us to do a podcast every week. Um, here we go. This one will be extra fun for you. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, where you where we got that monologue from? That is from an artist called Dennis Land. Uh, he we is, want you on the podcast, Dennis. Yeah, fucking love to chat to you, Dennis. Uh, provided you're one of our listeners. If not, then maybe you will be. You know, who knows? But um, he does accelerationist type art. We can add a link to his work. Um, he's personally, I think, one of my favorite artists that I've seen. It's all very like uh, hyper intense, aggressive uh, capitalist shit. And my favorite bit of work that he's done has that as a monologue across it. I don't think anything quite sums up um, the reality of what we live in other than that, you know, paragraph that we just read right there. It's just, it's very succinct. And that's kind of what's fucking happening right now, you know, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> high risk. Big Hunter S. Thompson energy. Oh, fuck yeah. 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 But that's the mood of the nation. And it's going to get more insane as we've uh, uncovered some more crazy bullshit that just seems to be uh, happening over and over again. So. Oh, yeah, dude. I know that we've talked about Hunter S. Thompson on the podcast before and probably done like a couple of spells on him, but I feel as though it's worth revisiting every just few months because like who doesn't want to have a conversation about Hunter S. Thompson? He fucking absolutely captured like the energy of the modern world and particularly the united states so brilliantly in his stuff hey mm. like i think he was he saw what society was becoming before it got there in in like fair and loathing in las vegas or whatever just illustrating the the insane frenetic urgency and just aggression is i think what you said before which is like yeah so uh fundamental well, to what it feels like <laughs> we're doing right now there's a the, the thing i like about it is you know if you're going to use like a night out as an analogy for 
uh, what's happening in the world, which I think is always a good idea because that's kind of like the perfect, <laughs> perfect analogy of like what um, it's kind of like being out. You know, if you start out on a good night and you're having a couple beers and everything, somebody pulls out a little bag, you know, and you have a couple lines and you're chilling, you're having a good time and everything like that. And then you start to feel a little shitty. It's maybe like one or two o'clock in the morning. You think, ah, oh, yeah, I could, I could just fucking rail myself all the way to like 10 a.m. But that might have disastrous consequences. And the last couple percentage points of pleasure that I'm going to be getting out of this is so minimal <laughs> and not worth it. And that's fine. Yeah. You go home, right? And you fucking go to sleep and you, you uh, do what you need to do. And then you wake up and yeah, you get on with your life. But there's always someone that fucking takes it a little further you know what i mean there's always you'll go home and then one of your buddies will be like yeah dude we fucking did the whole gram i haven't slept yet <laughs> it's like oh man where'd you end up just every fucking bar in town cut and it's just like jesus fucking christ you must be an absolute wreck you know and every now and then you hear about a horrible catastrophe that happened and like you know like someone got arrested or, or fucking someone this is this is such a stupid rant of you're not a degenerate, but if you're not a degenerate, you don't listen to this show properly. <laughs> so uh, yeah. I like that analogy because I always know that someone's going to take it way further. I generally like to think that I'm the guy that tries to get home by like fucking two or whatever and just, you know, doesn't want anything to do with what's happening after that. Because the few times I have gone further, like even if you win, you still lose because you're so fucking burnt out and shattered and such a miserable shell of a human being. Well, let me tell you about the gravest mistake I ever made. All right. I once went out on a Friday night in Brisbane and had the weekend ahead of me with no plans, or at least I thought I had no plans. Yep. And ended up getting home on like Sunday afternoon in the same clothes after having like been to a different city. Oh. Like, I, like, went out on Friday night at, like, 4 a.m. on Saturday morning or something. I, like, traveled with some strangers to a different city and then went to a fucking music festival, went out that Saturday night, somehow entered the home of these people that I had no connection with. I hadn't met these people before, and I just walked into a house and slept in their living room. And then they woke up in the morning and they were like, bro, who are you? And I was like, oh, I'm like Ryan's mate. And they're like, who's Ryan? And I'm like, oh, fuck. Um, and they're like, bro, we don't know you. Like, why are you in our house? And I'm like, oh, I don't know, man. Sorry. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> and and uh, then I was like, oh, like I, I came here with, with these guys who I was with. And they're like, no, you didn't. Like, those guys were not at our house. Like, we've never seen you before. Yeah, it was fucking weird, man. I had blacked out and just, like, entered somebody's home and just slept there. Oh, um, dude, were they cool about it? But then, oh, bro, they were fucking sick cunts. Eh? I was like, I was like, oh, well, like, since I'm here, like, do any of you have an iPhone charger? Like, my phone's dead and I need to be able to, like, get somewhere. And then they were like, oh, yeah, man, no worries. And, like lend me their phone charger for like half an hour to charge my phone a bit and um, made me a coffee while my phone was charging. <laughs> and like, I was so lucky that these guys were just lovely people. Yeah. Because, you know, there's a, depending on how someone wakes up, they could probably want to punch you. Yeah. For man, being in their house. 
so extreme. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then I had to like, the guy who I met on the Friday night who told me or like invited me with him to this place was going to drive us back on Sunday. And then I eventually managed to find him again and then was like, hey man, it's Sunday. Let's please go back to Brisbane. And he's just like, oh, no, nah, man, I've decided I'm not going back. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you fucking piece of shit. So then I called one of my friends who I was living with at the time. And I was like, bro, you have to come and get me. Eh? Like, can you please get my car keys out of my room? Take my car, drive here <laughs> and take me home. And my yeah. friend, who is an, one of the greatest people ever to walk the face of the earth. Uh, yeah, drove a few hours each way to come and pick me up and uh then allowed me to to roll about 20 ciggies from his pouch on the way home and just chain smoke my sorrows away and uh so i feel like um that's uh taking your night out a little bit too far that's it, man. and if we're you watch the line if we're equating that to <laughs> modern society that's like building coal mines right up until 2040 yeah oh, well even better than that right so that analogy is particularly useful um, because you know that there's going to be <laughs> there's always going to be fucking people, and it might be you uh, who take shit way too fucking far, and that doesn't normally have disastrous consequences if you've gone home or if you've like you know checked out and the party's over for you, you know. But it fucking can <laughs> have disastrous consequences because that sort of shit plays out in like. Um, you know, in, in the world of finance. And it plays out horrendously when you start to see people who act in that essentially the fucking same way, but with billions and billions of fucking dollars, you know, and and then you get real systemic risk. And this is the thing that is just about the starting paragraph that we that we said is like, no one's at the fucking wheel, but you can always count on someone taking it too far. And, you know, because the law of like human behavior or whatever seems to be that no matter what scale you're at, if it's just you going out on a fucking massive night and being a degenerate, um, or if it's you being a degenerate running a fucking mid-sized business that can blow up and wreck uh, your employees, yourself and whoever else is in your like immediate circle, or if you're running a fucking family office <laughs> and like using like you know two to three x fucking leverage on billions of dollars wait a minute it was 10x it was leverage. more it was 10 yeah, to yeah. 30x leverage. I, <laughs> um then you're gonna blow up potentially the entire financial system which is like so fucking high risk and everything you know and who doesn't want to do that? Well, that's it, right? Like, yeah, there's always going to be some guy who's just... And, and this is this is how... I feel like, man, this is how society progresses and moves forward and backwards. Because there's always some cunt out there who says, yeah, it's pretty fucking sick here. Like, you know, cranking the fucking dial up to nine. But what if we took it up to 11? <laughs> and yeah. just... And like, yeah. often the guy that cranks the dial up to 11, either like flies too close to the sun and bursts into flames or is extinguished in some other way. Yeah. But then, like, once you get, like, 10 guys who go up to 11, like, their bodies or the 
charred ruins of what they had built leading up to that point eventually fill in the hole or the moat for everybody else to cross over. Mm. I feel as though though the reason (laughs) that we need people constantly pushing the boundaries of what's possible is so that enough trial and error can like (laughs) push all of us further forward. That's so true. You Um, need the guy. Once once enough people get a $50 billion margin call because they were like, you know, trading with 10 times leverage on an $8 billion fund, um, then hopefully, you know, some of us can learn something from it and we, we move forward. Um, well, it's the behavior. You, you, can, you can't stop the behavior. And, and it's like that excessive drive for risk that's driven out of like, you know, it, this is the commentary around. So we'll get into the actual story at some point. But at the moment, I'm just enjoying this preamble too much. Yeah, we're doing this the total wrong way around. (laughs) But um, the behavior that drives someone to try and taste the nectar of the gods through like the extra couple percentage points of pleasure that you might derive from like, you know, doing too many lines or like, you know, doing fucking, uh, taking high risk business decisions or whatever pleasure you're trying to uh, sip on is really what will drive us forward. You know, like... When you read the story of Elon Musk and you hear about how the fact that he like sold off PayPal or whatever and essentially bet every fucking dollar he had on just starting a rocket company. And the only reason we celebrate him is because of some fun, fantastical sequence of like planetary alignment that allowed this to actually exist. Because, you know, the whole story is retarded and it's like, this is stupid. There's no fucking way this should have worked. Like he should have, he should have been burnt by like, you know, the, the angry gods of Hubris sort of just come down and smote him where he fucking stood, you know, and just two little <laughs> shitty memes in, a, in his boots was all that remained. But they didn't. They allowed him to exist. And that allows us to fucking go forward, you know. That's the only thing that allows us to go forward is these crazy sons of bitches that want to fucking, uh, want to walk among the fucking titans. So... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely. This right. is kind of making you know, me like Bill Huang like a little more. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, me too. Actually, I'm really glad we're having this conversation. Um, yeah, because I was initially mad at him because I was just like, oh, this motherfucker is gonna just like impede the entire market. Yeah, you know, I was like, if this count causes a fucking even like a a small uh, crash, I'm gonna like hate him for eternity. But I'm glad that we're uh, we're talking about it in this light because now I kind of vibe with it. <laughs> um, and like, if you have like eight billion dollars, then like, what else are you gonna do with it? Mm. You may as well jump on a roller coaster. Yeah. Oh. Like, the, there's no point in having ten billion dollars. If you have eight billion dollars, then the target you're going for is a hundred billion dollars. Yeah. Everything in between is so meaningless. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was one of the things you could basically lose, you could, you could fall all the way back to a hundred million. Right. And like, it'd be interesting to see if he blew up his entire family's wealth or if he's like, we <laughs> 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 should reach out to him. I can reach out there. fucking, you know, see if we can be like, all right, cut. that was pretty funny. We, uh, we have some transcripts that need written. So, so <laughs> anyway. Shall we, uh, shall we explain to our <laughs> dear listeners what uh, Bill Huang did? Yeah, absolutely. So um, basically, this is a story of high-risk acceleration. Uh, and 
how the entire process of financial market essentially hangs on no one. Um, so <laughs> Bill Huang's background is uh, loosely described as a guy that was like in the hedge fund game um, way back in the day and was kind of like booted out for insider trading. Uh, I didn't find any like super good information about like what he basically did, but essentially he was running a fund um, that I think it was like a $5 billion fund. And he, funnily enough, he got fucked big time by like uh, Volkswagen short, uh, uh, the oh, Volkswagen really? twins. Yeah. Back in That's really interesting. Um, and then there's this like blank period of time or whatever, we're assuming he was doing something shady. Uh, and then he, in 2012 had to plead guilty to criminal fraud charges for using inside information, um, from investment banks to profit on securities. So he was es essentially like insider trading or whatever, um, paid $44 million out of the fund or whatever to settle the suit and then was never allowed to work as an investment advisor again. So Bill Huang goes well under the radar he's off the fucking game nobody really knows about him in the new york finance circles or whatever he's just kind of like disappeared um he then apparently turns uh his old fund tiger asia which had to give all this money back to investors so he had to run everything on family wealth um into a family office and that is essentially uh it's kind of like a loophole in, in the way that you can basically manage your friends and family's money without having to like disclose what you're doing to anyone. And you don't have to file 13 F's 13 F's uh, essentially, if you have over a hundred million dollars, then you have to disclose where you're investing your money. Um, which is great. It's a great tip, by the way, if you want to see what uh, the big boys are up to go on to whalewisdom.com. No, we're not sponsored. Maybe one day. But it's a fucking sick way to see like how people, uh, who the, where the big boys put their money. Um, anyway, so Bill Huang starts this firm, uh, turns basically Tiger Asia into Archigos, I think is the way to pronounce it. I don't, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that entirely correctly. Archigos, I think. Uh, whatever. That's the way I'm going to pronounce it. <laughs> um, so Archigos says that they're essentially investing in like US, China, Japan, South Korea, Europe, um, and public companies. There wasn't any seemingly like edge that they had within this other than maybe Bill Huang had some sick mates that he fucking relied on. I mean, when you get a taste of that insider information once, you know, it's hard to imagine it'd be hard to fucking let it go. Not saying that he was insider trading, but I'm not saying he was not insider trading either. <laughs> <laughs> So apparently these guys had about $10 billion in the fund. And I, I'm not clear if they traded up to $10 billion or whether they had $10 billion originally. I mean, imagine they would have had something and he's over the years since 2012 traded up to fucking $10 billion or something like that. Yeah, you'd imagine. Yeah. If it, if it started with just friends and family, like that's, you know. Yeah. You wouldn't imagine them just sitting on 10 bill yeah but anyway so he's part of what's called as far as i understand it the dark pools private exchanges and um this is like a lesser known type of exchange that us uh simple plebs don't have access to this is like where the real fucking money comes from so 
40% of all US stock trades essentially happen on dark pools. Dark pools are like where you go to do block trading. So these are the guys that come in and say, I want 10% of fucking, um, you know, I don't know, like uh, Viacom or 10% of like fucking GameStop or GameStop now, not one of this $800 million. But, um, you know, and, and they do uh, block trades. So they'll essentially say, cool, we're going to list uh, for sale 10% of Viacom at you know, slightly below the price and it won't interrupt the normal markets of uh, buyers and sellers. Theoretically, that's what it's meant to do. So uh, it's just a way basically to like get rid of a shitload of fucking stock in a block without fucking up the markets. Because if you imagine you tried to sell like 10% of the company on the normal exchange, it would just blow through the entire order book. It would just plummet the fucking price, you know, and nobody really wins in that situation unless you're picking up cheap shares. So that sucks. Uh, <laughs> now, <laughs> you, you can, I guess, also either, <laughs> I don't know within these dark pools, whether you can use um, swaps and swaps are like just another financial product that essentially allow you to like leverage the absolute shit out of your position by using the bank's money. Um, and then, you know, you get charged like a huge amount of fucking interest on that. So if anybody hasn't used margin and leverage before, it essentially goes like, uh, you'll put down your initial capital, whatever that is. So let's say I'm buying like a thousand dollars of, uh, GameStop. And I say, you know what? I want to buy $10,000 of GameStop, but I only have a thousand dollars because I'm positive that that motherfucker is going to the moon. And so what I'll do is I'll be like, okay my broker will essentially allow me to take my thousand dollars and using some fancy calculations, they'll be like, you can leverage this shit out like five times. You can actually put down $5,000. You can leverage it out 10 times. Um, and if you win, then you basically, you know, if it goes up 50%, then I'll make 50% on $10,000. I'll also have to pay interest on that as well though, because I'm effectively borrowing the money. So funny story with this, uh, back in 2015, I blew up my own account doing this. <laughs> I fucking like, uh, on an $8,000 investment in Facebook, I think I leveraged it out to 50 grand and I was betting that, um, you know, that this thing was going to go through the fucking roof and that I was going to, you know, make a ton of money. And I was like, man, I'm so fucking smart. Like this is, this is ridiculous. You know, this is just like free money in the bag. And it followed I was right before the earning. If you, if you go on the graph of Facebook, you'll be able to see exactly where I bought in because the next day it was one of the largest stock drops in market history it plummeted 30 percent, and i blew my entire account out of the fucking water dude i like i ended up with negative money i owed my fucking broker money so suggestion if you're gonna do this like just don't do what i did and bet the farm the farm and your dad's farm and your mom's farm and everybody else's farm just bet your own farm and even then bet part of the farm don't bet the whole fucking farm right so anyway I feel for Bill. I can't even be mad at him, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so Bill essentially was fucking leveraging the shit out of his $10 billion fund uh, and buying up swaps and a bunch of these um, random companies that I honestly, they're pretty fucking weird. We, we have Viacom, 
uh, like CBS, which is, I don't know, like they're okay. Discovery, which is like another, uh, I guess, is that the Discovery Channel? Like I'm not even actually sure other than they're just going like, Yeah, I was wondering the same thing. I feel like it is. Yeah, right. Okay. Tencent in Music Entertainment Group. And I think that's TikTok or something. Um, or it might not be, but it might, yeah, I don't know. And Badu, which is, I actually thought these were like reasonably okay companies, but I don't know if I've used yeah. the X leverage on them. Um, Shopify? That's good. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I guess he likes the stock. Uh, <laughs> so the stocks were going up. I'm imagining he was making a lot of money. And then all of a sudden, it was all fucking gravy train um, until Badu's stock price started to plummet and it dropped 20%, largely I'd imagine due to the uh, rising yields or something, um, which led to a margin call. And so this is also what happened to myself is that your broker says, hey, your positions dropped by a certain amount. You need to put in more margin, more money. Um, otherwise, we're just going to close your trade, you know, uh, which is, I guess, exactly what they fucking did. And if you don't have the fucking, and this is another reason, like if you're using leverage and you wanted to be like a, a loose cunt and, you know, walk with the titans, um, just have some cash on hand. Just just don't bet your whole account. <laughs> like, it's so fucking painful to wind up in huge amounts of debt off the back of this. You know, like I didn't trade for years after this. I the, I was fucking devastated, man. I lost like like basically everything I had, which was not a lot back then. But I was like, fuck trading. I fucking hate it. Um, you know, back in the game now. But fuck this poor motherfucker. Right? So he got margin <laughs> called, and we don't know how fucked Bill Huang is from all this. Um, we know that like a bunch of the banks that were lending him money us effectively sent out letters being like, we have lost a significant amount of money, <laughs> like to the tune of like billions of fucking dollars because this guy was such a losing unit and he kind of covers, um, covers fucking ass basically. Which is like, fuck the banks for like having no risk management on this as well. Like, it's just, it's astounding to me that they would expose themselves to this kind of behavior without yeah. having. So yeah. um, they had actually flagged Bill Huang, at, uh, at least at JP Morgan, they had um, as recently as 2018 as like an individual that you just can't like let do. <laughs> so their compliance departments like had information about him. And he had tried to access credit in the past and they were like, sorry, dog, no. Like, we know who you are and what you do. Yeah. Like, this is not something that can happen. Um, and then in 2020, we're just like, ah, oh, fuck it. Yeah, he'll be right. He's done his time. <laughs> and it only took him like uh, less than 18 months to do this. <laughs> and these are not just like any banks either like the largest banks in the world so um so citibank credit suisse, credit suisse yeah. um jp morgan and i forget the name of the um the japanese bank uh, was it um namara namara holdings namara yeah yeah uh, which is the largest bank in japan yeah so like these guys are just like they're the the, the banks are as fucking ballsy as he is you know yeah. or, or ballsy or foolish i don't know what you term you want to use but 
Uh, yeah. It sounds like Goldman and Morgan Stanley were involved, but they just like basically fucking noped out of there as fast as they could. So I'd imagine they probably did mm. it right, but like, um, yeah, the other two got fucked up by that. So, you yeah. know, uh, pretty fucked up story. I mean, this is one of the things that can lead to systemic risk, right? Like, because I mean, if they collapse and the banks are holding um, a bunch of assets, uh, you know, or they're holding a bunch of um, basically debt on their fucking books and then they have a large failure and they suddenly have to make up the money and then they have to raise interest rates and then that can lead to a bunch of fucking other people getting margin called. And if there's too much leverage in the system, this is something that, uh, you know, God, I'm just such a fucking Burry dick writer at this point. But like Burry talks about a lot. If there's leverage in the fucking system, then the speed of collapse will be uh, dramatic, to say the least. You know, this won't be, oh, I feel shitty for a few days. This will be, I am literally in a fucking stranger's house, two hours from my home with no car or wallet. That's, that's <laughs> the fucking, you know, and it's a roll of the dice. It's like, yeah, this is either going to be catastrophic and, you know, it's it's a fucking hato woke up in the uh, the Hell's Angels clubhouse, or you're gonna wake up with some nice strangers. You don't know. It sounds like we've woken up with some nice strangers. I think in this one, you know. Yeah. But- so like the extent of the fallout for this was, I think, upon the news or the day after, rather, like the uh, the finance sector in the market like fell ten percent or something, um, but has like slowly started to rebound. Um, like Bill Huang's assets were obviously like liquidated. So billions upon billions of uh, dollars worth of stock in those companies were sold, um, fucking the price up for other shareholders. But it's been like relatively contained, which is fortunate. Um, apparently, like I've heard, I don't know, people discussing this on online that like the banks are like insanely well capitalized at the moment for whatever reason. So they have like, a lot of cash on hand like more than they usually would which is allowing them to like stomach the blow a little bit more but um yeah overall um great tale of hubris and um i'm i hope bill doesn't kill himself <laughs> yeah man i i really hope that he lives to see another day because um yeah, as much yeah. as you we we all I see no shortage of fuckwits on Twitter being like, that's so stupid. What a fucking dumbass. I'm like, no, 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 no. The Bill Huangs drive us forward, my man. Like, the Bill Huangs. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I, like, just, we should all take a moment of silence for Bill Huangs smoldering account and what it might have been, you know? And you know what? <laughs> like, his theories were probably good. Mm. I'm sure he's a really smart guy and had, like, a lot of, a lot of justification for doing what he did. I bet you that um, in his discussions with with his, uh, let's say, counsel, they had cottoned on to something and were like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. This is, these are the calculations, blah, 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 blah. And all they did was pull the trigger on what was ultimately a huge play. Mm. And it went wrong, but that doesn't mean they were wrong necessarily. Yeah, yeah to be honest, I'm looking at all of these companies myself now um glad he put them on the radar <laughs> and see where they go right there's a fire yeah sale. well like <laughs> are they like possibly buys now because is the, the price super low 
know. You'll find out on our Patreon. But, you know, like... <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, we'll check it out. There, there could um, be some good options, option plays here, you know, for... Uh, maybe might be a good... Might be a good time to uh, plug the Patreon, seeing as it's uh, just organically found its way into the conversation. Well, there you go. Um, go to Modern Guild Patreon. They'll let him do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Damon said it. Mm. Modern Guild forward slash... No, Patreon forward slash Modern Guild. You fucked it up. You <laughs> gave the people the wrong URL. Um, HTTPS. And... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... So every month we put out uh, exclusive content for our Patreon subscribers as well, where we do deep dives into stonks mm. and we discuss our thoughts on uh, stocks that our listeners request us to do some research into. So, oh, I'm going to quickly look it up right now. There's an Australian uh, defense company uh, that we are going to do next week, actually, mm -hmm. uh, EOS. Which is interesting because um, one of the most colossal fuckwits in the Australian Parliament, um, Barnaby Joyce, recently purchased some of uh, this stock through his son's trust fund. All right. Um, <laughs> now, our, our valued listener, uh, who is actually a um, former uh, member of the Australian Defence Force, um, requested that we do a bit on this stock. So I think it's actually going to be pretty interesting. Yeah. It's also going to be the first um, stock on the Australian Stock Exchange that we will have talked about on the um, on the Patreon episodes. Mm -hmm. So it'll be something different. Um, and I, I guess we'll we'll figure out something else to throw in there. Maybe Lockheed Martin. I'm liking that. Yeah, yeah. I might, uh, yeah, yeah. So, something like that. And if time... Make it a defense special. At some, at some <laughs> point, I, I, I'm pretty keen to do the Bill Huang special episode but you know we'll see where we get to um so okay. systemic risk is something that is fascinating it can cause huge fucking issues and if we, as we've seen with this it's been nicely contained uh but you shared a story to me that i think is potentially one of the most fascinating fucking stories that might end up being um a bigger clusterfuck and frankly a bit of systemic risk that i am like very keen to not expose myself to um, yeah. I believe it's an anonymous article. Ah, was it anonymous? I, did, I actually didn't even fucking look at um, the, the writer. That's so stupid of me. Um, but yeah, shout out to, to uh, our friend Will who um, sent this article my way. Um, it's a good, good recommendation, interesting article. Yeah. And um, then I in turn shared it with Damon who also found it as uh, alarming as Will and I did. So, um, yeah, let's talk about it. Give the backstory or you want me to... Yeah, yeah, no, sure. Right. Um, so I, I read this a couple of weeks ago now, so the details might be uh, a little bit murky for me, but essentially um, this article was written from the uh, perspective of a startup founder who was uh, very deeply invested into cryptocurrency and particularly Bitcoin. Um, and... He cottoned onto something that he started investigating and he lays out his sort of thesis and working out in this article. Um, quite a long read, but it's worthwhile. Um, where he essentially discovers that 70% of the um, inflow into Bitcoin uh, is in the form of another cryptocurrency called Tether. And 
That currency is called Tether because it's hypothetically uh, tethered to the value of the US dollar. So if I am right in this, someone can correct me if I'm not. Um, some cryptocurrencies are known as stable coins and they're not, the, their use is that they can be uh, a less volatile value store, essentially. Um, so because some people might not want to put their money into something like Bitcoin, which can spike by like 20% up or down in a matter of like fucking minutes or whatever, then you might want to buy some, uh, well, not Tether, as you will discover, but you might want to buy other cryptocurrencies which are tethered to the US dollar. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so theoretically, they're meant to hold $1 worth of assets for each Tether that's in existence. Yeah, so um, the company who developed Tethercoin, um, appropriately named Tether Inc., um, claimed that they had um, in a trust assets um, of the, the sum value of the total amount of Tether coins issued. So every time they would uh, create a Tether coin out of thin air, it was supposedly backed by something tangible and real. Um, then the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission decided to have a poke around and they're like, hey, Tether Inc., you guys want to show us those assets that are backing your digital currency? And Tether Inc.'s like, yeah, sure, they're just in here. Um, open the door a crack and the SEC poked their head in and they're like, oh, yeah, there's actually nothing in here, man. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. oh, yeah, well, sorry, yeah, it's not here, it's somewhere else. I'll show it to you next year. Um, so court, court proceedings began um, and Tether seemingly uh, did their best attempt to draw out these proceedings in order to delay the, uh, the final results or whatever because they were so clearly fraudulently issuing these coins. Um, and so the problem here is that uh, there's this essentially like a racket being run, right? Part of the reason that people actually, so, you know, people might wonder why the fuck would you buy tethers? Um, and part of the reason you buy a tether is though that you can get access to these dodgy exchanges. So like within crypto, there's like normal exchanges like Coinbase. Um, they're trying to be more legitimate exchanges where you can sort of like buy and sell crypto assets so that you're not going to get exit scammed on. Um, exit scamming effectively means that there's a bunch of guys who are like, we've got the next big crypto thing. And then huge amounts of money pours into it. And then they just fucking disappear. Like they literally disappear. It's happened multiple times where like suddenly there's like an empty office. I remember seeing this one guy that fucking exit scammed uh, a bunch of people and just like posted a fucking selfie of him on some beach. And everyone was like, we're going to fucking murder you. And he's like, sorry, bruh. Just booked fucking ten bill. Never heard of, heard of again. So Coinbase Whoa. tries to get around this by being like, right, we're only allow legitimate coins onto our things. They don't allow tether. But if you're on Coinbase, you don't get access to that sweet, sweet fifty X leverage. <laughs> <laughs> and who the fuck wants to live in that world, right? Boring. Yawn, fuck that noise. So basically what people do is they get onto Coinbase, they exchange real dollars for real Bitcoin, and it's a fair transaction. And then they take their fucking Bitcoin and they use that to get tethers. 
Um, and Tethers allows them to get onto these dodgy exchanges. Uh, there's one in the article that they talk about, it's called Bybit. Um, there's also Binance, which I've heard of, uh, and a couple other fucking bigger ones. And effectively, the flow of money in and out of these exchanges is in Tethers. And it accounts for billions and billions of fucking dollars. Like, you know, uh, it's about 70% of the daily buying volume of crypto and, and just like that's fucking insane <laughs> that is so much so if something like that fails systemic risk is like almost not enough to capture what that fucking means um and if that's not bad enough 70 percent of the collapse of you know the, the way that you fucking get money in and out of these exchanges uh this is where the story gets really fucking mental so as i just mentioned people use these tethers to get onto these dodgier exchanges and these dodgier exchanges let you do stuff like 50 to 100x your fucking investment out in leverage so when i got like with lack of a better term reamed um on my account I was using something like 10x leverage. When uh, Bill got fucked the other day, he was using something about 10x leverage. And that's a lot of fucking leverage, right? And and that much leverage in the system is more than enough to collapse it. Um, that could easily, you know, like if you have a small drop in price across, across the board in a stock market, and there's a lot of like five to 10x leverage positions, suddenly people are going to have to come up with the cash to account for the fact that there's this drop in price. And if they can't, then their positions get exited immediately. And it's like this, the shares just sell off. And that causes a further exacerbation of a fucking share price drop. So this is where you get like a, like just a fucking plummet situation. You know, if there's, if there's too much leverage in this, in the system, which is a big issue at the moment as well, because there's so much cheap debt lying around, people can just fucking leverage it out. 50 to 100x leverage is so insanely irresponsible. It's so insanely leveraged out that like, you know, if, if you can leverage out, uh, you know, like $10,000 into a million and you're fucking with a million dollars and the fucking trade goes wrong and it's like, you know, if it's, if it's bad enough that there's that much leverage in the crypto system um, that there's like, you know, not only that much leverage, but it's also a highly volatile asset. You know, it's one thing when you're dealing with like stock swings between like 5% up, 5% down, maybe 10% up, 10% down or whatever. But this shit swings like 20% a fucking day. How the fuck are you going to account for that much leverage? It's insane, you know? So th this is just one of those moments where you just think like, holy fucking shit. The reality of what could happen here is what, if this article is correct and it doesn't seem like it, there's, there's nothing in here that I, I can see that would make me think that it isn't. It will be such an insane clusterfuck of basically, potentially, like, the entire crypto market plummeting in freefall, you know, because of um, the issue with one tether suddenly sort of, like, evaporating when people realize that you've effectively bought something that has no assets backing it whatsoever. There's, there's not a dollar for every fucking tether. That, that doesn't exist. And this is part of what the SEC is finding out. Um, it might not be the SEC, but it's basically like uh, some financial fraud committee is finding out that there's, there's nothing backing this and it could just 
fucking disappear up in smoke. And that will cause huge liquidity issues for all these other exchanges that are, that is uh, that we're seeing, you know. So um, so I can't remember the exact statistic for this either, but because Tether needs to cover up the fact to its buyers that there is not in fact one dollar worth of assets uh, backing each Tether coin. They need to be generating enough cash constantly to be buying the vast, vast majority of Tether coins back as well. Mm. Um, so they're essentially like basically running a Ponzi scheme. Mm. So they need to yeah, be constantly having this inflow of money to prove that the coins are tethered. And because of that, they're making up like 90% of all the buying volume themselves. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. is fucked. So, yeah. Whole bunch of worthless coins floating around. <laughs> Basically, they're liable for about $25 billion, is what this article is saying. And they have $600 million in their Bahamas accounts, and that's all. And they use. VPNs and dodgy, um, basically, uh, they're hiding their, their IP addresses and everything to also make trades and, uh, and whatnot. So they're short a huge amount of fucking money. They have to make up, uh, you know, $25 billion and they have to build it out of 600 mil. And they've just kind of like, you know, conned everyone into this. Um, there's, there's a really nice, succinct way that I, we probably should have done at the start, but I'll, I'll give it here. So let's say there's Bob, who's a crypto investor. He puts $100 of real US dollars into Coinbase. Bob then uses those dollars to buy $100 worth of Bitcoin on Coinbase. Bob transfers his $100 in Bitcoin to an unbanked exchange like Bybit, the dodgy exchanges that we were talking about earlier. Bob begins trading crypto on Bybit using leverage, receiving promotional giveaways, which are all Tether dominated. Tether Limited buys Bob's Bitcoins from him on the exchange um, through deniable proxy trading accounts using VPNs, and Bob gets paid in tethers. So they're swapping out uh, Bob's bitcoins and saying, "Here's some tethers, which are fucking entirely worthless." And then they Tether Limited takes Bob's bitcoins and moves them in, onto banked exchanges like Coinbase. And then finally, Tether Limited sells Bob's bitcoins on Coinbase for dollars and exits the crypto markets completely. So this is Great just stuff. a clusterfuck waiting to happen. If you're in crypto. I would read this and uh, see how you feel about it after. Um, if you're not in crypto like us, I am strongly starting to like want to fucking divest from anything that has like sniffed Bitcoin, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, no, my, my um, position on it has always been that like I, I don't understand cryptocurrency. I don't understand Bitcoin. I don't understand fucking blockchains, whatever the fuck that even is, and I will. Mm. I'm hands off, man. I don't. I don't want. Yeah, the same. A, a bar of it. Well, um, I understand hubris. I understand leverage, <laughs> and I understand that when it comes down to it, um, an asset fundamentally needs to have value, and I don't want it to be patronizing um, because I'm not saying crypto doesn't. I just don't understand why it does. Um, and until I can hold something in my hand and recognize the value of it or not, like if I hold a stock and it fundamentally makes money, then, then it's all good. Right. You know, but this shit's, uh, this shit's fucking spooky. So we'll see where we get to on it. I'm not shorting it, but fucking sure as shit not getting into it. Eh? <laughs>
Yeah, no, um, it was actually pretty funny. I remember the other day you said to me, like, imagine the the panic of having a short position in, in crypto. Um, <laughs> this would be hell on earth yeah. every single day. Well, um, I heard something that there is a significant number of hedge funds that have gone bust um, shorting Tesla because they thought that it was overvalued. And it's one of the things where we all look at the price of Tesla and we say, sure, okay, you know, you can like Elon Musk all you want, but is it really worth $800? You know, and if Kathy Woods' latest prediction is that it's going to be worth, what, what did you say, like 15% <laughs> GDP? 16% of US GDP. 16% of GDP. I mean, let's be fucking real here. Like, um, there's like... John Rockefeller and uh, I think it was Andrew Carnegie or whatever that were running um, oil and steel respectively uh, back in the 1900s. And the reason that they managed to get total dominance of the United States was effectively by like buying up um, and creating monopoly positions and something that was the backbone of the entire economy, you know. Uh, and if we're going to assume that by the sounds of it, Tesla is going to become the backbone of the entire U.S. economy and that the U.S. economy is going to actually be worthwhile or like it's worth something in the next five <laughs> years, then you have to ask, like, well, what's the edge? What's it actually doing? Um, is it clean energy? Maybe, but why them? Why not, you know, Exxon's and BP's investments into clean energy? Or is it going to come from China? You know, like, like what? why would it be fucking worth that much? You know, and like, how are they going to make up the huge amount of gap between what they're doing today and what they're going to be doing in five years? Um, it's a big question. Does that mean that you should short it? Well, I don't know. Like, there's a lot of fucking, uh, in the, the immortal words of Wall Street bets, they can stay retarded longer than you stay solvent. So, <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking of that exact quote myself. Um, I think it's probably, probably the smartest thing I've ever read on that subreddit. Hmm. Like never bet against stupidity, because mm. um, stupidity is is far more aggressive and and volatile. Yeah, um, absolutely. Like uh, like assuming you can outsmart a meth addict. Yeah, like I'm sure you can like, in the long run, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But the meth addict <laughs> will stab you at any moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just fundamentally better ways to make money. Yeah. Um, shout out to Hubris. Shout out to fucking uh, being an absolute loose unit, <laughs> irresponsibly <laughs> using other people's money. Um, so while we're at it, um, I saw a brief overview of the uh, Biden infrastructure plan that was announced today. Um, sort of underwhelming. Mm -hmm. um, two trillion, two point six trillion dollars spread over a decade. Um, where is it? Uh, I found a really good, um, like bullet points before, but probably won't be able to find them again. Can't remember where they were. Hmm. Oh, well, I'll just edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I could touch on, uh, we had a listener reach out to us and ask about, uh, the price of lumber. <laughs> yeah let's talk about the price of lumber why not <laughs> right. um do we have a way to predict the price of lumber i'm just gonna fucking fast answer that and say no uh we don't 
Um, I wish we did. Uh, if, if I find it, then I'll be more than happy to profit off it and uh, eventually share it. But, you know, as of now, um, Modern Guild Industrial does not have any way to predict the price of lumber. Does that mean that we're always not going to have it? No. <laughs> we just don't have it today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we're working so on it. So <laughs> I know, like, at the moment, um, like, as our listener is probably aware, because he is a cabinet maker, shout out, that's a pretty cool trade to be in, building cabinets. Yep. I'd like to do that. Um, lumber's really expensive, though, because... Um, there's a combination of an undersupply produced by the beginning of the pandemic when everyone had to get off of work. And then also like a lot of um, idiots doing DIY projects just started buying heaps of fucking wood (laughs) while they were off work or working from home. Um, So now everybody that needs it is uh, unable to get it for the prices that they used to. So maybe maybe the path forward for cabinet makers is uh, 3D printing their cabinets. Because um, oil is something that there's plenty of in the world and has a really stable and predictable price, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, it reminded me. So, the, one of the things that I found interesting about this, because it's been a long-standing thing that I'm fascinated in, um, and my uh, mother actually, um, Lee, kind of is related into this field uh, and has been working on like predicting mass um, seed events that lead to a sprouting of timber. Um, for like the last 30 years or some shit. So uh, there's a really good tale with it. And, and I, I, I actually, funnily enough, do actually hit her up quite often to try and get more insight into that. But again, I haven't got anything to tell you, so I'm sorry about it. But um, I was just telling Hayden uh, before we started recording this that the god uh, of commodities, Ray Dalio, has essentially done something similar um, in terms of being able to predict future events that led to the creation of the chicken nugget, which is a fantastic story of like, if you can understand the forces at play that create the supply and demand of a particular commodity, then you are well on your way to, uh, I don't know, uh, to just doing whatever the fuck you want, really, for the rest of your life. Um, and there's there are things that you can do to, to get your head around this stuff, but they're, um, yeah, they're, I don't know. You have to understand things that are far beyond my my knowledge. So anyway, back in the 1970s, um, Ray Dalio was effectively working as like a commodities trader uh, out of his apartment, you know, where he first started Bridgewater. And he had two clients, um, McDonald's and a chicken producer, right? And I imagine back in those days, McDonald's wasn't McDonald's today. It was just kind of like a chill little fucking, like a nice, funny little burger joint. And I don't know why a chicken producer was hanging out with Ray Dalio, but he seems like a cool guy, so why not? (laughs) (laughs) So McDonald's wanted to add chicken nuggets to their menu, but they were worried about the price of poultry would skyrocket and effectively make them, you know, uh, a a product that's just going to be like entirely worthless for them to sell, you know, Um, because I guess the price of chicken is volatile or something, you know, chicken for a while and it seems to stay pretty yeah like um like bird flus often decimate chicken populations like i know that like there are often instances when i mean like even in europe not to mention china and other parts of asia where like all chickens need to just be executed Mm. yeah um but anyway (laughs) yeah well there's a lot of volatility in the chicken market and they're worried that if they set the price 
uh, the price of chicken would go through the roof and they would get squeezed and they'd have to raise the prices or something and fuck over the consumers. And it's an interesting problem, right? And these are the problems I guess you face, you know, like a global uh, manufacturer of chicken nuggets is that you actually have to worry about those sort of things, you know, um, just fascinating to me at least, you know. So they wanted yeah, to hedge yeah. the price of chicken, which means they wanted to effectively say that uh, in case of a dramatic change, they want to be able to be assured that they can sell they're, uh, that they can buy chicken at a reasonable price no matter what's happening in the market. And this is part of the whole creation of like futures and options and why they are actually like originally created, you know, was to hedge against massive price, price fluctuations. Um, so Dalio went out and engineered this like financial product where he basically was telling this chicken producer that he can lock in the price of soy and corn to this guy and his reasoning was that a chicken is nothing more than corn and soy meal and that he knows that he can sell this guy corn and soy meal at a particular price you know and that he's not going to have to worry about the cost of the chicken in the long run and therefore he could sell the chicken to mcdonald's at a very set price as well and you know ensure that he could have this like long-standing price of chicken uh, that he could then sell off and then we could all enjoy the uh, mutant fucking food that is the chicken nugget. So how does that relate to timber? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think it's one of the things that you start to look at and say, well, what goes into a tree? What goes, uh, what drives the supply and demand of timber? Um, you know, how, how can you possibly understand the forces at play in the world? to get your head around what drives the supply and demand. And maybe you'll find out what to do with the price of lumber. Or you could just bet on people that do forestry, you know, uh, which is probably a better way to get exposure to the price of lumber. Yeah, no, that that's good. Um, <laughs> I hope uh, that the cabinet making business is going well. I'm sure it is. Plenty of people uh, should want to buy cabinets. Mm. I would like to buy a cabinet. I keep saying that I want a wall unit for a more efficient storage of my belongings. <laughs> um, it's one of my fantasies to one day, um, what's the word, uh, commission custom handcrafted furniture and to one day even build some myself. Um, I, I applaud cabinet makers. It's a good, good, uh, <laughs> good thing to be doing. Um, let's, end of this podcast <clears throat> all right there we go all right cool um if you want to support us then please go to um patreon forward slash modern guilt and subscribe you can give us five dollars a month for uh for our efforts or lack of and also to access our bonus episodes which come out monthly um send us things as well because it's quite interesting getting messages from you guys i'm sometimes bad at replying to them uh, as i'm bad at replying to most things in my life um but you know it's it's cool um i'm mildly active on twitter under the modern guilt or guilt underscore modern account you can also hit me up yeah uh, or send us an email and blah 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 do all that good stuff and we'll we will reply or we'll just talk about you on pod you know so yeah yeah we uh, just not reply but use use your messages to us as content <laughs> yeah also huge shout out to um user 
Black Pill Capital Management for having the best username out of our followers so far. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's cool. Good job. Strongly dig that. Yeah. A little unfortunate we couldn't have taken that ourselves, to be honest, but that's all good. So, you know. Uh, we, uh, we have the best name. Don't worry. Absolutely. For those who are not aware, um, well, no one would be aware, actually, so why am I even saying that? Um, we recently started a little thing and it has a nice name, which you might learn about one day. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. See ya.